Welcome to the Product Ops Chronicles with myself, Graham Reed, my co-host and Product pal, Antonia Landy. And this time around, our special guest star, Deanna Solar. Uh, to our regular viewers, Chris will be back. Um, we'll be back in a future episode, absolutely. In this episode today, we are going to talk about the wider impact of product operation, operations professionals on the business as a whole. Um, in the last episode, we discussed Product Ops being uh, a trusted partner to product leadership. But how far does this extend into other key areas of the organization, into sales, marketing, delivery, support, customer success, you name it, the wider business, particularly uh, the um, the commercial side um, of the business as well. Um, so we'll 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 croak straight on and welcome back, Antonia. Um, lovely to have you here again, um, and a very very warm welcome, uh, Diana, to to yourself. Um, for those living in a cave who might not uh, know and heard of you, would you like to briefly introduce yourself? Absolutely. Thank you so much for this warm welcome. And thank you so much for letting me part of, be part of this amazing, amazing journey. I'm such a fan of both of you. Um, so I'll briefly introduce myself. I'm Diana. Thank you for pronouncing it correctly, by the way, Reed, uh, Graham. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm originally from Colombia, South America, and I do wear that as a badge of honor. Um, I bring that into everything that I do. So yeah, I've been in tech since 2017. Um, that's around the time that I fell in love with operations and the, the concept of product development um, that happened when the company that I was working for was acquired by Airbnb. Um, and then the rest is history. Fast forward to the pandemic and everybody was canceling their trips <laughs> and I was no longer able to pursue my career in what is like business operations at the time. And also a little bit of customer success with a little bit of product uh, marketing. Um, but I knew I wanted to continue down the product path, but I was not able to find that opportunity within Airbnb. And so then um, at the very beginning of 2021, AppDirect reached out to me for this role of the senior product operations manager. And I thought, oh my goodness, what is this fabulous thing? Let me Google it. And all of a sudden, some familiar uh, voices and names started popping up, like Christine and Melissa, Perry, and all these great names that we know. So I was like, absolutely, this is right down my alley. And then it's been nearly three years that I took, uh, I officialized my participation in the world of product operations. Today, I'm director of product operations at Ascent, which is a Canadian Ottawa-based um, SaaS company. We're just over 10 years old, and we created a platform to help uh, complex manufacturers, like specifically like um, electronic makers or vehicle makers or aerospace makers, ensure that they're complying with um, product compliance and ESG and all those regulations within their supply chain. Um, so, yeah, super excited to be here and share my experience with everyone. Thank you so much. I, and I think that's, I, I mean, that was, I think, the key reason, amongst other than you just being an absolutely fantastic person, a really great spokesperson for product operations, um, you know, particularly kind of on, on the other side of the Atlantic to, to Antonio, Chris and myself, um, but also kind of that background that you have, as you suggested, you know, in, in all walks of, you know, a, a typical SaaS business, you know, all different areas. Um, and I think that, you know, that was absolutely the reason why we wanted to to invite you on with that real perspective there, um, which we're going to come back to, you know, as we as we talk today. Um, I think what I'd like to do first, uh, and Antonio, I'm going to hand over to you because, you know, you, you explain this so eloquently every time, is... <laughs> 
Um, just briefly remind everyone, particularly those that might not be so literate in product ops, maybe it's the first time you're seeing this or learning a bit more about product ops. How does the this how does this role support the product function in a business? Because we're going to branch out after this to the other areas of the business, but I think as a good baseline, where did how does it how does it support the product side of the business? Yeah. So for me, and it's it's a definition I've iterated on since I started in product ops, right? But for me, I've come to the conclusion maybe that product operations enables product excellence, right? And that's not necessarily helpful if you're trying to find out what their day-to-day work looks like. Um, but the challenge here is that by definition, we we remove barriers to that product excellence, but what those barriers look like is different at every single company. So some of us might be doing very data-heavy work. Some of us might be doing more coaching. Some of us might be working very closely with product leadership to make sure that the strategy sticks, right? Um, but for me, broadly speaking, it's really about product excellence. And I think thinking about our topic today, how do we include other people, other departments into this conversation, that doesn't change our prime directive, right? And product isn't done in a vacuum, right? That's the thing. It's not just product managers that build products. I mean, really, if it's if it's just product managers, like we wouldn't have an end product, right? We need people to actually build it. We need people to figure out how it will look. We need people to sell it. We need people to support it once it is out there. So how do we get all of those voices going into the same direction and making sure that ultimately we deliver value to our users in a way that benefits the business? Absolutely. Um, and Deanna, I'd love to, love to just get your perspective and say briefly before we move on to other areas of the business, because Antonio and I, and also Chris as well, we've we've discussed this a few times now about um, the potential differences in, in product operations between kind of Europe, where it is very much growing, but I wouldn't say in its infancy, but still, it's still in the process of taking off versus kind of US and Canada, you know, where it is I would say more established and in certain areas more established as well. Um, you know, what's your take on product operations in terms of how it supports tech and, and product and, and, and that side of a business? I love that you bring that up because I actually made a similar, actually the complete opposite observation in the sense that I'm like, oh my gosh, in Europe, product operations is so well established. There's so many like of, of the voices that contribute to the community in a meaningful way. You guys are all in Europe. <laughs> There's so few of us <laughs> in North America. I can count us on one hand. Um, so we can definitely, at least here in, in Canada, I live in Montreal, Quebec, and I LinkedIn search product operations and you there are not that many of us. So mm-hmm. I guess that's a competitive advantage that I have, but it's not, a, it's not in service of our bigger mission. But so um, when my first product operations role I reported to one of six directors of product management. And I didn't know better. I thought product operations is there to make the lives easier of product managers. We know now how wrong that is. But back then, that's what I believed. 
And so it was over time that I thought, oh my goodness, like I'm not having that impact or not getting that traction, that buy-in that I need. And I, I, I approached my boss's boss, so the VP of product management, I thought, hey, wouldn't I have a much bigger impact, not me personally, but the function of product operations, if I reported to the head of product and here's why. And, da, da, da. and it was incredible when he made the announcement, the rest of the directors of product management came to me and said, oh my goodness, we didn't know that you could help us. We didn't know that we could open our doors to you and you could come in and help the teams. What you've done here, please duplicate it here, 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 and here. And I thought, oh my gosh, okay, first, first, first learning, like we must report to the, the head of product, uh, to the product. And we know that as uh, common now, we have that as common knowledge. Um, but in reality, I, I very much echo what um, Antonia said, because what I've learned going into year three of product operations and my learnings, it's not just for the product teams. And keep in mind where I am today, I work, um, I sit within the product organization, I report to the chief product officer and she leads, it's a she, yay, she leads six product teams from engineer, software development, QA, design, product management, infrastructure, support, and product ops. So we're seven teams. And that is truly how I can have a really, really big impact. So I work mostly with engineering teams and with customer facing teams. Um, and right now we're working particularly close with our professional services teams, which are actually the core users of our products because not only uh, companies or customers purchase us for our software platform, but also for our managed service. And so, yep, to, to, to summarize it, it's there for the success of the product and to end from its um, markets uh, identification, sorry, the opportunity identification through to sunsetting and all the hands that um, play a role in the success of that product. I'm really glad you phrased it that way as well, um, because I think, you know, this is something that I've said for a long, long time as well, that... Uh, product operations is there to support the 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 product function, not product teams, not not directly people. Um, although people are, you know, it, it's a weird dichotomy because we we are a very very people focused people role. Uh, you know, we want to help the people. We, we we do a lot of kind of like how do they think, the psychology of how things work, things like that. But actually, our role is there to support the product function. In a SaaS business, that's basically the whole business, you know, particularly if you are selling that product uh, and that is your, your primary asset. We're there to kind of help support that business in its dealings with the product itself, the product function. How does that product function work and operate? Um, and kind of, you know, how you laid that out as well. You know, you, you, your CPO uh, has seven, uh, you know, pillars, uh, channels, for want of a better word. And product management is just one of those. It really elevates product operations up much higher than just saying we're there to support product managers and, and do what they need to do. No, no, at the very least, it's everybody on the tech side of the business um, at, at most all, all divisions, uh, you know, across the business. I really love, you know, how you how you how you put that. So, you know, then then moving forward from that, um, what's. I mean, where where do we start? I mean, what what would be your uh, what would you say, Deanna, is your um, where where you've had most success, uh, particularly where you are at the moment in terms of kind of working with one particular function within the business. So, in both, I've I've had the opportunity to 
do product operations in two companies um, now. And um, in both, I took that similar approach where I arrived and for the first 90 days, I spent listening on the listening tour. Uh, here at Ascent, I spoke to, I think it was like 70 individuals from not only within the product teams, but across the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all about understanding the opportunities. I realized where most of the pain existed were in that collaboration and communication between the customer facing team and the product teams. That's where the low hanging fruit was, but really where the biggest, like the biggest gaps. So looking back, I've been here for just over a year and a half and where we, the team has spent uh, the most of our, like almost 60% of our initiatives are to build that cohesion, that collaboration between the product teams and the customer facing team. So for example, um, we've implemented a release readiness uh, program and with the goal to ensure the customer teams are well-equipped to talk about the changes in the product with users. And we had an interesting situation where there was a product change that didn't require software developer time and Therefore, it didn't go through the normal process. And what ended up happening is that our professional services teams were not ready. And again, they're the core user of the product. And so we realized, oops, there's there was something that we missed here. Let's go back and iterate. So second point is like iteration is really important when you're designing these processes. But so, yeah, release readiness was another one was one. The other one was uh, feedback loops. We were really good at collecting feedback from the customer teams, but there was no way for us to analyze that. So what additional in data, business data, customer data could we layer in to the feedback that we were collecting um, that would help the product decision makers make that prior, those prioritization decisions? And then we didn't have a product um usage tool to help us see the success of those things. And so we've we've now completed the cycle and we're now in the change management phase where we're rolling it out, enabling teams, et cetera. But that's just two of like five different initiatives where we've spent the last year and a half. And so if you were to ask me who currently are my biggest champions and advocates, and I don't mean me personally, but I mean the product ops team, are the cross-functional leaders, the head of customer success, the head of professional services, the head of sales, because we've alleviated a lot of the pain for them. Ask some of the product leaders how they feel. I mean, we've created (laughs) a lot of work up front for them, but they're yet to reap the benefits of like downstream. This is actually buying you a lot of work. Um, But yeah, so, so that's that's what the status of the collaboration and how do we work with other teams across the organization looks like. And it was a similar thing in the company where I was before, but a much smaller scale. I really love that you mentioned the listening tours, right? Because I think this is something that's so central to setting yourself up for success when it comes to starting a new product ops role. And it's especially looking beyond just the limits of even product and tech, right? it's actually going to meet those customer facing teams. Like I had this kind of epiphany at my sort of last full-time job before I became a freelancer where I was speaking to people in sales. I was speaking to people in customer support and even just the fact that I was there representing product, but actively listening to them was such a breath of fresh air to them, which I mean, it's it's horrible if you think about the implications of that. But even just the fact that 
we can be those people that extend an olive branch and we can be the people to say, well, we'll get closer. You know, it will no longer be people throwing stuff over the fence at each other. It will become a collaboration. And I think within that, even, I mean, we had a case where our internal support teams, they were using a tool that we built. It was an internal tool for them to deliver service. And there were so many things that would take us two hours at most to fix in this internal tool, but it was always deprioritized, right? Because there was always such a strong focus on actual quote unquote product work, things that will land in front of the eyes of the customers. But once we realized like literally one team takes half a day and we could actually make 30 people's lives so much easier. And having that good relationship like that really was so meaningful in helping to reestablish that trust, reestablish that relationship and really telling each other, right? We are here for each other. We are here to solve one common problem, to, to reach a common goal. And product excellence is also how we deliver that service. And if I could add, it, it's not a one-time thing, the listening tour. The yes. approach of gathering that feedback via a listening tour may be one time, but you want to revalidate what you heard and yeah. see, are you are, are you making any impact in improving or alleviating some of this pain? So what we did um, in Q3 was that based on the listening tour, we launched two surveys, one for inside the product teams and then one for the customer teams. And it was yeah. interesting because one of the questions we asked the product team members is like, how do you feel that you collaborate across the organization? And they were like, great. And then we asked the customer, <laughs> how do you feel product collaborates with you? They're like, no, it's not good. It's not good. I don't feel heard. And so then we presented back the results and they were like, oh my God, this is like, now, now we have a baseline that we can improve yeah. against. And so we're about to launch it again in Q1. We took a bunch of their input and adjusted the survey. Um, but now everybody looks at the same source of truth and can gain inspiration. And I've seen other product leaders and other uh, customer-facing team leaders um, build initiatives and um, out of what they heard in the, in the yeah. survey. So it's revalidating um it's and it's showcasing it once again over and over i speak to the cross-functional leaders at least once a month i've got so much to unpick from from what you both <laughs> just said there i mean um and there's a few bits i'd really like to to, to pick up i absolutely love listening to her. um you know absolutely funny enough only um last week uh, myself and uh, uh holly holbrook we did a session for the pla talking all about um you know what you're doing your first 30 60 90 days and a huge mm -hmm. part of this was kind of your whole discovery process uh you know in product ops um I'd like, I'm going to come back to the, the whole feedback piece because um, I think this is one piece that just comes up time and time and time again uh, in all conversations with, with product ops. Um, Antonio, I know you and I have talked about this countless times as well. Um, and uh, so I want to come back to that in a moment. Um, we want to come all the way back, sorry, uh, to Antonio, you said something uh, which was along the lines of, you know, um, engaging with you know the teams around the business um uh, and finding out what these problems are so a, a kind of a question for both of you is how 
how how do you set yourself to be more uh, objective, more uh, separated from products? Because you're, we are all typically part of the product function of some description. You know, in that column, usually reporting to the CPO, CTO, maybe somebody like that. Um, but how do you then go out to the rest of the business and go, look, tell me the stuff that that you know is irking you? How do we help you in your interaction with product? You know, uh, and, and in a way that you genuinely do want to to go and hear from them, as opposed to if this was product managers, product directors, the, the CPO going out and saying, well, tell tell me what's wrong with my team. You know, how, how do you approach that? You know, with that with that wider business. Yeah, I think for me, the the first 30 days maybe are the most crucial there because it is really you want to maintain that impartiality, right? I mean, I have a product management background, so sometimes my product brain wants to jump in when I see something that I'm like, hmm. Maybe, you know, maybe that is suboptimal, but really also sort of training myself to be a conduit more than a specific cog in the machine. You know what I mean? And really keeping that high level overview. And I think to a certain extent, maybe for most of us in Europe, I don't know, um, I think, Diana, to your point earlier, I think there's more of us. But most of us are teams of one or teams of very, very few, right? And on the one hand, that's good because by definition, we kind of we have to protect our time and we have to remain at a fairly high flight level to sort of want to do anything or anything meaningful, really. Um, so I think that's that's one way to to keep that impartiality because we just we kind of have to, right? Um, we cannot get stuck in the details. But yeah, it's it's really, I think also making clear your mission and what you're there to do, right? And I think I see that sometimes where I join an organization and all of a sudden I get product requests because I opened that door, right? And I go, hey, I'm the person from product you can talk to, let's be friends. And they're like, fantastic, here are 25 requirements. When can I see them in the product? And it's like managing that expectation and, and sort of, clarifying what exactly it is I'm there to help facilitate goes a long way. That uh, is completely accurate. I've been there. <laughs> For me, it was more like, oh, can you send me the latest roadmap? Oh, can you? It's those requests. But yeah. no, so I don't have a product background. Before I joined product operations, I came like my career started in business development and then it pivoted to customer success and then like business ops. And then I got into product operations formally. I am incredibly empathetic to customer facing teams. And I start with that. When I introduce myself, I'm like, I am a part of product, but my heart sits in customer success. Yeah. And um, that has allowed me to build those bridges a lot quicker. I also, I, I also, I'm candid. I say I'm not here to advocate or speak on behalf of the product organization. I happen to sit within the product org, but really, I truly want to be that bridge. Um, so it's listening. Um, I also do get an opportunity to explain like product processes to some of the other customer-facing teams. I remember the first um, roadmap uh, presentation that I heard here at Ascent. Um, 
um, one of the leaders of the sales teams was sitting right behind me and they said something to the effect of like, well, how hard could it be? And I'm like, they don't understand everything that happens in the back end. And mm-hmm. so I approached the VP of engineering. And I said, how would you feel about doing a section of the roadmap presentation where we talk about everything that goes behind the scenes? Yeah, adding a button is not that hard in the minds of many people who don't understand what actually goes behind it. So it's just finding those opportunities to to kind of connect the dots for both sides of the business, both product and the commercial side. And and just in the last piece as well about kind of um, uh, opening up kind of product and engineering's um, internal process, let's call it that for the moment, their internal ways of working, opening that up to the the wider business, being more transparent on how they they work. That's certainly absolutely something that I've found beneficial as well. Um, to, you know, they don't need to know all the gory details of it and things like that. But you know what, have an appreciation for the work that does go into that. Um, uh, and I think as well, and I think actually that, that, that is right for the wider business as well, having a wider appreciation of what everybody does. In no way in the world would we ever ever say that any of the, the core uh, divisions within a within a, a business, uh, you know, don't have very complex ways of working. They don't all work hard, you know. Um, myself and sales we've always been kind of you know love-hate relationship forever as I've worked in product but you know what they do a vital part of the business as well and they have very different stresses and strains that they have to to, to deal with very complex ways of, of working and working with customers and uh, and their targets etc cetera, etc cetera. so I think an under wider understanding that look you know what this isn't as simple as you might have in your mind does go a long way to helping bridge those gaps to to building that to starting to to build a bit of trust between uh between the teams absolutely yeah and i think just quickly jumping onto this because i feel like this is so important honestly um actually having like extending that sort of education branch to other people right is so so vital because so many times i i do product ops work and i speak to really really frustrated pms who get inundated with requests from customer success, from sales, et cetera, et cetera. And they're just fending them off left and right because they don't come, they don't arrive in a format that is helpful, right? And these PMs usually go, oh, they don't know product. They don't know what they're talking about. It's like, well, have you told them how product works, right? Have you explained to them why it is that we need to scope each opportunity before we spend time on it? Like, it's so easy to dismiss people in other departments as, oh, they, know, they don't understand what we're doing. You know, we're doing this incredibly complex problem solving and we need to consider so many different factors. But it's like, well, teach them, tell them how to do it, take them on that journey with you, because only then can you really say you're product led, right? You don't do product led in a vacuum. That just does not work. The whole organization needs to be on board with you. And a core piece of that is building that empathy between teams. I always go back to like, put yourself in the shoes of someone else. So one of the favorite initiatives that we did in 2023 and that we're planning for 2024 is knowledge sessions. So the goal was to bring um, a department once a month to come and present to the product organization. Again, there's seven teams. There's a lot of people in the product org. And so um, we started um, in the user journey. So we started with uh, business development, then account executives, and then the whole entire journey through to uh, ending with customer success and then moving on to some of the other uh, supportive roles, like the rest of the enablement teams, et cetera. But it was incredible to see first 
the questions that we're getting asked in these sessions, mm. they're, they're one hour sessions. The majority were actually like 40 minute presentations and 20 minute Q&A where these leaders would come and say, this is what we do. And many team members within product didn't even know some of these teams existed. Um, so it was seeing the questions from like the designers and the product managers being asked to these other teams across the organization. And then afterwards, getting a message is like, oh, my God, thank you so much for putting this together. We are collaborating with them on this thing moving forward. And so in 2024, what we're doing is the reverse. We're going to do a road a, a knowledge sessions product educating the rest of the organizations. Like, did you know that there are 17 and did you know that this is the difference between like when an es escalation happens, this is how product support collaborates with QA and engineering to resolve. Cause they need to know that as a customer success manager, they're like, why is it taking so long to resolve this escalation? Well, because there's three teams that are involved and they're also focused on these other 10 things. And it's just like, let's tell them, let's build that empathy. Let's build those relationships. I um, love that. I, I, again, absolutely about building those relationships, and you know, and then in terms of product operations, um, the work that we do uh, is 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 important, absolutely. But a part of that is then also build is facilitating the building of those relationships between quite often the tech side of the business and the commercial side of the business as well as we're acting sometimes as a go between uh even in just facilitation of facilities and process and things like that i feel kind of a lot of subconsciously we're, we're building those relationships on behalf of other teams as well so again coming back to this idea of being more transparent um on the ways uh of working and antonio i actually loved your point on that in in not just kind of opening these things up it's a two-way piece you know not to, not having the product team turn around and say oh well they just they won't just they just don't get us it's too complicated right. you know we do felt too much well try you know yeah. even <laughs> if they don't get it uh you know or all of it or understand or care to be honest with you but the fact is is that they've got an awareness and they know what's going on here um uh and and actually this this segues quite nicely into um an interesting piece because I've 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 words a lot on uh, communication, particularly between uh, tech teams uh, and the wider business, the wider commercial business. And one element that I'm I'm very positive about and, and about putting in place is this idea of sharing information that teams need, not mm. everything. Not this idea, kind of you know. And and I will admit, I you know the way that I used to be years ago when I was in product management, I was very much like share everything and let people unpick that. Um, and actually, I feel the reality is that we want to be sharing what people need, what we what we think they can consume, um, and be very mindful of what 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 they're going to do with this. How can they consume it? How much information? What at what technical level? You know, are we explaining our product releases or our roadmap, the things that we're working on? Um, and it and it then dives into kind of our ways of working as well. You know, we could share all of this, but actually. Do we really want to share a kind of a, a version of what we're doing and how we're doing it to those teams, uh, particularly the commercial teams, in a way that they can? It's useful to them, you know. We wouldn't imagine, you know, on this same line, talking about the software development lifecycle in a way that product teams, engineers, designers will all understand. Because what are they going to do with that information? But what they do want to really understand is, look. We listen to you. You take our feedback on board. We go and investigate it further. We do some more work on this. We look at metrics. We we take it. We do it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
And that's enough for them to understand. Um, so I want to open it up to, to both of you about kind of this relationship, how actually how transparent do we want to be or, or should we be? And that's not to say we hide anything, but how do we do it in such a way that is useful to them? So I'll I'll get it started. Um, one of the other really exciting initiatives that we I got to work on, not only here at Ascent, but in the previous organization where I first ventured into product operations, was um, standardizing the use of JIRA. Why? Because we needed to better communicate across the organization and outside of the or, uh, of the organization, meaning. You know, I, I believe it was like 40 different scrum teams that we were working with or 37 and they all use JIRA slightly different. Um, and we needed to standardize how they were using it because we decided, OK, we're going to introduce this higher level JIRA issue type that would describe the intended outcome. And then you have initiatives that roll up to that and then you have the epics that roll up into that. And so we decided, OK, at the in epic level, it's how we speak within the product organization. At the initiative level is how we speak across the organization to customer facing teams. And then at the outcome levels, how we speak to the um, external users and that. And of course, you need the teams to use JIRA in a similar fashion so that it's all it all kind of neatly rolls up. And that was really useful because we helped define like this is how you describe things in an initiative or at an outcome, which had to be a lot more non-tech person centric. And it was more value driven. Like, why should you care? And we used, we took examples for companies that I think are excellent at this. To me, Pendo and how they communicate product releases and Airbnb and how they communicate their product launches. It's really easy to understand. You don't have to be a tech person. And so to me, those top two levels focus on that. And then the bottom ones really was like how we communicate inside the product teams. But that was really easy. from that. It was easy for us to then share as much as anybody wanted to. They could double click if they were even more curious or they could just stay at the high level. And so we really share everything. It's just up to them to decide. And we do guide them. We do explain. But but it was getting the teams organized in a, in a tool and then making it published public and teaching them so that they can self-serve. Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, having a solid communication strategy is such a strong pillar of most things I do in product ops actually right and I feel like it right communication has the ability to bust silos and it has the ability to create silos I mean I was once tasked with sort of revamping a bi-weekly newsletter that the product teams were sending to everyone in the company by the way um and I just recently joined the organization. I have a background in product and tech. I couldn't understand it. Like really, it was so granular. It had so many abbreviations, abbreviations that were company specific even, mm. right? Of company specific terms. It had so many technical topics and there was very little about what this means for the customer and what this means for the organization and what this might mean for commercial teams. And like, no wonder nobody was reading it. It was essentially useless, right? But the teams very strongly felt like, well, if I don't tell them enough they will just come back to me for questions right they will just hound me for questions if i don't write down everything i have done in the last two weeks how will people know about the great team you know about the great work my team has done um but actually really reducing that to the essentials 
writing it in a way that was actually understandable for everybody and making sure it sits in a location that is actually accessible to everybody. That was the other big piece. Um, completely transformed it. And people actually did start collaborating. It did actually start opening up doors that were previously shut. And people did start looking forward to, to hearing about what the product and tech team is doing. Because up until that point, from the outside, it just looked like, well, they were busy all of the time, but nobody was really being, like nothing was really being delivered. And actually taking, like bringing people in and saying, this is the complex work we are doing. This is why it's really important that we do it. But also this is why it's taking a long time, right? Or this is, these are our experimentation results. We failed here, so we're going to try a different approach. Even actually showing that, that there are so much iteration behind a feature before it ever gets released. And we're not just doing nothing, right? We're not just busy for being busy. We're doing real, actual, meaningful work. And sometimes it doesn't work out, but that's okay because we learned a bunch of stuff about our users. Surfacing that was so important in helping people understand what folks in product and tech are actually going through. I think the and there's a there's two things that you said there. Um, you've you've both hinted at really, um, and I think it's about finding that balance. Absolutely, um, finding you know, ensuring that the business is understanding what the uh, tech side of the business is is working on um, with an element of saying, look, how much effort is being put into this because what that really does is this starts to showcase you know look why we can't just do something that you phone right. in at the last minute. We can't alter this sprint around because you've done this, this, and this. You know, actually, there's a, there is a chunk of work here and what you're embedding is, look, these things are are more complicated. Deanna, as you were really explaining earlier as well, look, this is not just a simple process. There's more to this than you want a new button, something like that. But then at the same time, you know, what we're really talking about here is how is that communication adding value? to the person that's reading it or listening to it or watching it or whatever. Um, you know, what's the value that they're getting out of it? Um, certainly the way that, again, I've looked at this is, again, use use sales. What can they do with that piece of information to keep a customer, get a new customer? You know, if we dumb it down really that much, if I tell them, uh, you know, that we've, we've done X, Y, and Z, and we've, uh, you know, re removed so many lines of code and things like that, Right. That's lovely. And and look, it, you know, that is an important piece in a context. But what can they do with that information? What value is that adding so that they can do their job? Um, and a big part of what we are have been talking about here is how are we supporting those different business parts of the business? Not only in understanding what we do, what the product team does, but also how are we supporting them doing the part of the job or the part of the business that they need to be doing and be experts in on the front line. Um, so again, it's, a, it's that balance in, in my mind about um, making sure that they are getting value out of this communication so that they can take that away. They can go and do something with it. I recently, um, I think I shared this with you, Antonia, but I was recently asked to also lead the service enablement team. Um, so this is a very small team. Uh, there are five individuals who are responsible for the training and enablement of our professional services teams. And again, they're the biggest user of our product. They're roughly 400 people. Wow. And 
it because like I'm now responsible for it. I've had to dig deep and really understand how are you currently working? How are you currently accomplishing this? And there's one person on the team who's directly responsible for understanding the changes in the product and then updating all the processes and understanding how that impacts each individual role within the team. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Isn't that so cool? Like, I didn't know that. I only know that now because I happen to lead that team. But I really wish that the, the product organization knew that. Of course, they now do. But also, it's like, great, how do we then adopt the documentation to reflect that? I remember one of the coolest things I had seen when I was first learning about like product development, or sorry, yeah, product management, some of the roles that um, was in the PRD, um, they would write use cases for each customer-facing team. Um I guess a use case wouldn't be appropriate, but it's like as a customer success manager, I care about this because mm. as a, and so it was very easy to to uh, find yourself and 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 gather the information quickly. Um, and so I'm curious now. It's like how can I implement that here because I have I have the ability to. It's just it's just like catching up with all my ideas. But but yeah, it's it's quite quite incredible. But to know that we do have that, we are thinking about that, and you do sometimes need somebody to do that translation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's even like, put it very, very bluntly, right? Why do I care? Right. And I think like, that's like, one of my passion projects is getting people to care about technical topics, like, especially when you have one or multiple platform teams, and they do such important work. And, you know, partly it's because maybe like, there are ops cousins. So I really want to help highlight, you know, this kind of type of platform or DevOps work, but really like, what does this mean for end user, right? Because infrastructure changes aren't just infrastructure changes. They are important because, right? X, Y, Z, because we can move faster, because we can plug in new technologies. Like, and really what does this mean for, for the end user, for the customer is such an important piece. Yeah. Um, I'd like to uh, just move us to one other group that we've kind of not uh, addressed so far, which is the senior leadership and C-suite team. Um, and I'll, I'll just throw it out there, you know, how does how and where does product ops support, uh, you know, other areas? You know, move aside from kind of CTOs, CPOs, because I think, we, you know, they, they, we do a lot of work with them, obviously. But what about kind of the rest of the C-suite and the rest of the senior leaders across the rest of the business? Um, Deanna, what's been your experience of, of, of working with, with those high leaders? Yeah, so I'm, I'm really, really, really fortunate that I, I have a seat at the table. I am part of leadership. I'm not part of senior leadership, but I do have a seat at the table, which is really uh, it makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And then what we do for speaking with the C-suite, it's um, like the various teams have slots. So senior leadership meets once a week, every week uh, for a significant amount of time. And then um, once every three weeks, I believe it is, it's products time to present. And so I have an opportunity to go and speak directly and present directly to those individuals instead of somebody doing it on my behalf, because nobody can speak as well as you can about the what your team is responsible for. And so that's been incredible to get the questions directly from our CEO, mm -hmm. um, where, for example, so when I came in, I implemented, or better yet, I re-implemented Pendo. They had had it, they had had it since 2019, but they didn't really do anything with it. And so to have 
need come in and present, listen, you thought Pendo was only for product analytics, but really Pendo is so much more. And this is what we're doing with it. And this is what you can expect in the next six months and the next 12 months and to get them excited and to have the CEO talk about Pendo and, and all that's going on. It's really powerful to get the teams also excited and adopting it and using it. And same thing goes with the other large initiatives that I described earlier. So it's being able to speak directly with them that and, and hearing their sometimes frustrations um, and some of the really challenging questions that come from them, it, it helps me in my leadership journey, um, but more importantly, it helps the mission of product operations and get direct feedback from those that can influence the most. Yeah, lovely. Antonio, your thoughts? Honestly, like senior leadership needs process too, right? Like they're the folks that are tackling the strategy they're the people that need to hand over like weekly bi-weekly massive slide decks to their investors and sort of justify what they've been doing with their money right like these are all opportunities in which we can help because we are uniquely positioned because we are impartial because we have a broader overview more usually because we have fingers in so many pies, right? But also because we're excellent facilitators, right? One of the ways I love engaging senior leadership is helping them refine the OKR process, right? Mm -hmm. And I go on about this a lot because I've seen very few companies that are happy with their OKR process, right? And that tension of being a senior leader and being a facilitator, but also taking part in the conversation, it's almost conflict of interest. So having somebody who facilitates on a regular basis and who can be very regimented with the communication, with the planning, and then also play that role in disseminating this information to the wider team, like that is such a unique position to be in. And I think it's one of the things that I love the most, right? And I think it's it's one of the many things we touched upon in our last episode as well when we talked about enabling leadership. And it's not just product leadership. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, and interestingly, because the last topic I'll, I'll cover um, in a moment, but I'll just pick up on one piece that you said there about being in that in that middle, being that facilitator, um, being objective, we've spoken a lot about these words, um, which completely agree with, you know, it is that important role. Well, how much do you, should you, could you um, advise still based on your mm. varying, both of you, varying different backgrounds? Um, you know, we've, we've got a strategy or we've, we're building a strategy, we're building these things. How much should you remain completely objective and just enable and let those let those minds talk and think, et cetera, et cetera, or give your own opinions into this as well? Steer the conversation to some degree. Open question. What, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think for me, I'm I'm quite strict in that I I do not make product decisions. And I think I would also just not advise. At most, I will coach. Right. Mm -hmm. If if that need has been explicitly stated or if I feel like a conversation is going off course. Right. That's also part of being a good facilitator. I will ask pointed questions. 
but ultimately the decisions are not up to me. And I think that is also the difference between strategic product ops and being a product leader, right? That is their context. They are the best people to make that decision. I am here to facilitate that conversation. Whatever comes out of it, none of my business. I completely second everything Antonia just said. I make sure that they are looking at the information to help make those decisions. I make it easy for them to access it, whatever that could look like. I make sure that they have enough time to consider it, to evaluate it, to synthesize it. I make sure that the, I I don't do this right now for the senior leadership, but more for product leadership, um, that it's presented in a way that it's cohesive, that it's like not too many words on the slide. I make it look good the best that I can. And, um, but yeah, I I don't have a say in the decision itself, just to make sure that there's a good cadence and that they're looking at the right information. And then that we follow through in communicating and disseminating the information down and across. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and there's a reason why I ask that because this is a this is a piece that keeps coming up in these conversations. Mm. Again, once again, Antonio, you you made that great point. Is that is the difference between strategic product operations and product leaders, product directors, CPOs, people like that, VPs. You know, they are the people that are coming up with the strategy. Fundamentally, don't I don't really care what we build. And I've said, and I've, I've said this to two or three different people, and I've been talking to them recently. I said, I don't care what we build as a company. I really don't. I care about how we're building. What are the steps we're going through? Are we making sure that we are doing the things that we have agreed to in mm. terms of our process? Are we making sure that we're looking at the data, you know, to inform our decisions? Are we making sure that we're going on and speaking to customers, the right customers? Are we validating all of these, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? And again, you know, and a, and a phrase that constantly comes up for me is playing devil's advocate at times. You know, you're in a you're in a you're in a strategy session or something like that. You're facilitating this. And I'll ask questions. I will say, have we, you know, I've not heard so far. Have we checked the data? Have we checked the usage of this area to see if it's up, down, left, right, whatever? Um, I'm not, I'm not making an inference upon that to say, well, we shouldn't, shouldn't do this. I'm checking to say, have you looked at this? You have, you're coming onto it, fantastic, great. You haven't looked at it, that's also okay, but obviously that's a piece that we now need to go and do. Again, what that data and the analysis says is. I don't fundamentally care because that's for the product people to look at and understand and interpret and make decisions upon. What I do care about is, have you looked at it? Have you used this? At least observed this and and, and investigated this as part of your decision making. I will say that product operations, depending on how the team is set up, is uniquely positioned to have a broader horizon of the information. So, for example, not only are we responsible for um, the product analytics and um, we create the reports and the dashboards that the product managers submit, but the product managers are looking only at their slice of the product. Where product mm-hmm. operations, I have mm-hmm. one person dedicated to all of that. So they know all of it, as well as the qualitative feedback that we see from the feedback, from Pendo feedback. And then on top of that, they're also out there looking at what are the other customer insights. So product operations is actually very uniquely positioned to get the information directly and package it and actually submit the recommendations. Again, if they go with it or not, that's fine. But we're the first layer. We're like the catch-all. And then we organize it. 
Whereas then it goes packaged to the decision makers. They don't have time to package it. They don't have time to synthesize and sort. So um, could one day I sit at the table and make a recommendation and perhaps not right now, it's still too early, uh, but maybe one day. Yes. I I don't have that in my, like, that's not what I want to do eventually, but yes, I, I think we are positioned to one day influence it. Yeah, you make an interesting point, though, because I think in the previous roles, at some points, we were really also just playing matchmaker. It's like, oh, that's a really cool initiative. Somebody in this other department over there was doing something similar. Have you spoken to them? Or, you know, I heard that those people just did a bunch of research that might also be relevant for you. Maybe you should get in touch with them. And I think that's also and that's also why we do need to have that visibility and we can really be a catalyst. Yeah, I, I love that. Absolutely. So um, last question, really, um, and really coming back to a piece that we picked up on at the start. This is before we just um, we summarise our thoughts on, on everything we've talked about is is how are we measuring ourselves in this? Um, you know, uh, how are you how are you measuring and gathering your feedback, et cetera, et cetera? Not on not our feedback for the product, you know, the discovery process, everything else, like that, but actually on you. This is probably the conversation that just comes up so often about, look, how do you measure success in product operations? How do you find out what you're doing? How do you how do you measure how happy somebody is from when you started, from when you, to where you are now, to a year's time, et cetera, et cetera? Um, and Diana, you, you, you certainly spoke about some, some surveys that you've done. I'd really love to kind of just dig into that a little deeper. Yeah, absolutely. So as I shared uh First step was doing that listening tour. Um, we then created the roadmap. Then we went and um, evangelized the roadmap, talked about it with everybody. <laughs> and then um, in Q3, we designed the follow-up survey to gather. Because remember, I spoke to only about 70 people, but there was like 600 people to speak with. So in order <laughs> to capture the voice of the rest of the, of the team members, the survey was the best approach. Um, we took learnings from that. We adjusted our roadmap. We planned for 2024, and then we're um, relaunching it in, um, in, in in Q1. We took that also allowed us to uh, build our OKRs for the team that roll up into the organizational group OKRs, and then that roll up into the corporate OKRs. And keeping it super, super simple. And year one, it was binary. It was like, yes or no. You did this or you didn't do this. Now we're looking at, now that we're heading into year two, it's like an increase of. So Mm. for example, I just wanted like, I just wanted at least one product manager, one designer, and one tech lead to access Pendo. That's it. Goal met. And I'm like, you now going into year two, I said, I want at least 50% of the product trio members to be accessing this data, to uh, to send requests, to anything. To me, it's I really need them to access this information. So that's how I built it. But it's it's been a crawl, walk, run situation, and mm-hmm. we're getting better. But it's it's hard for something like operations to establish um, measurable, uh, like key results. Yeah, I love that you called it crawl, walk, run, right? Because I think at at the very beginning. I mean, even in product ops, there's very little precedent, right? There, There's very little established metrics. There are very little things that we can refer to and say, okay, this is how you measure product ops success. And this is like the industry standard. And we will just take this and implement this. 
we are still figuring it out. And we will be figuring it out for every new company that implements product operations. And the survey piece, I think, is super, super important. One thing I personally like to do is I also like to measure specific initiatives, right? So going back to that newsletter, I could track how many people have viewed the page, for example. I can track things. I mean, there's talking about community. Um, we once surveyed folks and asked them to how many new people they had spoken to that night, because what we wanted to do was facilitate connections, right? Like sometimes you have to get a little bit more creative, but ultimately there are always things you can measure, even if it might be imperfect the first time around, even if, like you said, Diana, it's if the first year might be binary, right? People have done this or people have no no longer done this. Um, but it is also a discovery process for all of us in product ops. I think that's the I think and I think that's the key piece as well, is we have to I think we have to be creative in mm. how we are measuring ourselves. Um because we we I, I think so many people as we talk about this, we come at this high level to say, look, are people happy with what we're doing? And how do we measure happiness and things like that? And look, that's absolutely valid because I think at a high level to show you like on an initiative that you're doing, you know, a lot of so much of what we do is how we improve in people's lives and how do you measure that, you know, and, and, and that, that on its level is is not a simple thing to do, you know. If it's an MPS score, that's kind of the kind of the best established one out there. I mean, not just on product operations, but anything, it's still not perfect. But actually, Antonio, you've you've pointed out a really good point there is actually we need to be more specific. And actually, we mm. take a little bit out of the product manager's playbook here is, look, what are our measures for success on a product, on a feature, on a release? You know, And actually, looking at it that way, yeah, there are more quantitative things that we can do on a newsletter, how many people have looked at it. Uh, you know, big area for me is communications. Actually, as I've delved into it, I look to say, well, how many follow-up uh, Slack messages were there after a release. I'm hoping that goes down because we're, we're being more in, uh, we're being more clear in our messaging and things like that. Uh, how many people are reading these emails? How many people are uh, you know clicking through to the pieces that we want them to do when we're directing them? Yeah. And I think that's the key. There is actually not not look too high. Look quite specifically on specific projects and initiatives, and measure those. You know, yeah. and look at those very specifically. I think that's a great point. Yeah, it's it's the change in behavior, right? Like we are quite well versed in thinking about what's our users change in behavior, what's the outcome we want to achieve. It's no different in product operations, right? What's the change in behavior we want to see in our teams or across our teams? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, Antonio, this was a lovely conversation. Um, I just want to give us a couple of, couple of minutes just to kind of, you know, have some final thoughts on what we've talked about here today. We've covered a huge amount. Um, very, uh, we've dived into kind of a lot of different teams, a lot of different divisions around the business, particularly on the commercial side of the business, um, you know, which is absolutely was the topic of this really what we was looking to do. What are your final thoughts on this? It's about kind of um, working with these wider teams, you know, really for the product ops viewers uh, uh, or, or businesses that are kind of looking to implement product operations, where's the value to the, the wider business uh, for product operations in this context? Deanna, I'll start with you. Great question. And oh gosh, how do you summarize that? In <laughs> so to me, if I could 
like pass along one key learning. Now I'm going to do two because you can't just do one, two. So, you know, product operations, as we know, it's very, it can be very disruptive. Like we're coming in to improve the environment and the systems around the teams that have a hand in the success of the product. Um, and we focus a lot on the pain. Um, but we may not often focus or celebrate the wins and we want to preserve what's already working. When I joined this company, there was a lot of things that were working super well and we acknowledged it, but then we move on to what's not working well. So I would advise, um, individuals that are setting up product operations for the first time to really celebrate, um, and highlight what is already working really, really well and reassure leadership that you're going to preserve that. If anything, mm -hmm. you're going to double down and make it better if it's possible. So that's the first piece of advice. And then the second piece of advice is when you're going out and listening to customer facing teams, and I say only customer facing teams, but really it's any, any team outside a product, like put yourself in their shoes, use language that they understand, build that empathy, build that rapport, because you're going to need them down the line when you're going to introduce something that would be slightly more disruptive to their teams. You're going to want to have the trust of that leader to um, to more quickly roll it out or to more quickly have that uh, implement that change. So those would be the two pieces of advice. Celebrate wins and um, quickly build that rapport and empathy with um, cross-functional leaders. Love that. Absolutely love that. Really do. Antonia. Um... Yeah, I mean, especially looking at organizations that are very siloed, maybe there's a lot of frustration in either side of the camp, right? I think I'd just like to remind myself and remind others that that frustration didn't just come out of nowhere, right? People don't just close doors for no good reason. And I think a big part in reopening these doors and reestablishing trust is understanding what happened before you joined a certain company or before you stepped into a product operations role and to really don't discount that this is really this is change management first of all but this is really this is trust this is about people trusting each other and realizing that we are in the same boat we are not against other each other we don't have competing objectives we actually have the same objective and that is to deliver value to our users, I can't. Uh, I can't add to I, I, any <laughs> of those things myself. I think for me, absolutely, you know, building empathy, building rapport, and building trust, um, and absolutely, just as Antonia said at the end, there we are all working on the same goal. We're all working towards the same end goal here. We're not all fighting each other. You know, we're not. We're not against. So we all want to sell. We all want to succeed. We want to sell our product for it to be successful for people to like it. Uh, how do we all work together? on that um i think that's an absolutely fantastic place to to finish on diana thank you so much as a guest uh you know on this uh thank you so much for your time and for your for your input absolutely really fantastic um uh you know conversation here today i know we'd absolutely love to have you back on a on a future episode um as well oh it would be my pleasure thank you both so much I, you know, the journey continues. Like I mentioned, I'm going into year three of building and growing product operations. And there's so many learnings. I think there's very few voices in the community that have, have 
an opportunity to go that deep in product mm-hmm. ops. And so um, really would be happy to share the learnings along the way. It's it's not going to be an easy road, I anticipate, but it's going to be very rewarding. I do anticipate that and anything that I can give back to the community would be my pleasure. And I'm also learning. Oh my goodness, I learned so much from all of you. I read everything that comes into my inbox. I listen as much as I can to all the content that exists because I always take a little, at least a little piece of like gold from it. So please continue doing this great work for Product Ops Chronicles. And and I really appreciate being here today. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, so, well, that's it. for. So thank you certainly to my co-host, Antonia, uh, and especially to uh, Deanna Sola for uh, our guest today. Please do connect with any of us on LinkedIn. Um, thank you as well, of course, to the Product-Led Alliance for hosting and facilitating and continuing to be great hosts uh, uh, for us for this continuing series. Um, and thank you to everybody watching as well. Hope you found something useful and learned something great today. Um, and we will see you all next time um, on the next episode of Product Ops Chronicles. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye.